Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to The Real Nerds Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy, at Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com, where there will be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. Do you like your stories told through pictures? Then you can also follow us at Real Nerds on Instagram. You can also call us, 720-6Nerds5. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. This is Real Nerds Podcast. And every week on Real Nerds Podcast, we see a new movie and we podcast our experience to the world, which we've been doing for almost 10 years. I am Ryan coming to you via Zoom with Brad. Hey. And Zach. Hello. This week on Real Nerds Podcast, we saw The Sound of Metal. I, I can't do metals. Sound of metal. Spoilers for it. When that opening song was going on during the sound of metal, I'm like, man, I hope I go deaf. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We'll talk about why Ryan was just offensive here in the spoiler section. It's not spoilers. Everyone knows that it's a story about a drummer that goes deaf, right? Isn't that? Oh, yeah, I guess. Never mind. Yeah, that's not I'm pretty sure they talk about about it in the trailer i don't know i guess i've never really seen a trailer for it i but didn't i, I didn't i just saw I the photo <laughs> i guess i have maybe i saw it at the alamo at one point anyways mm-hmm. stay tuned to the end of the episode we'll tell you if you see the film or not play the trailer and spoil the film uh we also talk about movies we've seen throughout the week movie news blu-rays that are coming out and general movie amusement or something general Clever. movie amusement all news about jason muse at the end of the day we just like movies and we like to talk about them yeah it's what we do it's what we do wait i thought we were here to talk about quilting i've been misled this whole time (laughs) well (laughs) i mean it's just because we can't talk you can't see what we're doing because you know it's audio that's why we don't do a quilting one that's true what quilt are you making now ryan (laughs) I'm making a seaside scene that has seagulls and lobsters and I don't know what else. (laughs) I'm just making another Last Supper. (laughs) I have too many of them in the house. I don't know why. I don't even like that painting. (laughs) It is bizarre. Like, like just the way they're posed. You know what I mean? They look too eager. (laughs) To worship the man in the middle. <laughs> like they've been hanging around him for so long at that point. Do you think the last supper they'd all just be like, oh, all of a sudden I need to hug Jesus this instant. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it's that time of year where we're able to jump in Brad's Winnebago and go around town with Brad. Hey, film buddies, follow me around Denver. This week at the 88 Drive-In, uh, they're screening, or yeah, April 23rd, finally, they're opening. 
Tom and Jerry, Kong versus Godzilla, and The Unholy. Oh, that's kind of their cool lineup. lineup. Yeah. Ooh. You yeah. going opening night, Brad? Nope. I don't know if I'll be back in town by then. So, Well, then I'll go and I'll report back. Do that. The, yeah. Take some kids and then force them to watch Unholy. No. that. <laughs> At the uh, Holiday Twin Drive-In, they don't have their weekend lineup set yet, but Tuesday's 420, guys, so they got Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke and the Big Lebowski double feature. At the 88 Drive-In? <laughs> Yeah, the or holiday the, twin. Oh, oh, the Fort Collins one, yeah. Yeah. That cool. Would, Marijuana that, is so cool. That would be fun, but I would just have to keep my windows up the entire time because I don't want to inhale it. Yeah, like, I, I would like just not movies. go. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's, it's a big Lebowski. Two really big then. overrated movies. Well, hey, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just because the second one is talked about way too much doesn't mean it's overrated. <laughs> It is overrated. It's a good movie, but it's overrated. Brian says it's overrated. It's overrated. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is his podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Pretty much what I say goes. That's right. By the way, Ryan, don't listen to the next couple of Ballyhoos. I kind of throw Army of Darkness under the bus for no reason. <laughs> you dick. <laughs> Delete it from your feed. Yep. I'm not subscribing anymore. That's fine. You wouldn't be the first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's what's going on around town cool let's take so back in the old days guys see we got our name from a movie reel you used to have to stick a reel of film on a projector and it'd go through and a light would shine through and it project the film onto a screen that sounds antiquated and boring why isn't it all on a computer me so um that's why this segment is called Real News. And when I say unspool the real news, it's because I'm talking about a movie reel. And that's how clever I am. I've been doing this for 10 years. It's Real News. Thank you, Professor Ryan. <laughs> Anytime. Well, now why don't you go find that lost, lost piece of archaeology before the Nazis grab it? <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Indiana I love Frost. being compared to Indiana Jones. <laughs> Jerk! Start the projector! <laughs> um, so, guys, we're getting that Lord of the Rings TV show. Um, we've talked about it a little bit in the past. Um, and it looks like this is just a insane figure, technically, is that $465 million is going to be spent on the first season alone. A lot of money so. to spend on something I don't care about. Yeah. You know what I always think is weird about like streaming platforms too? Like I get that they always make money, but I, I they just spend money so crazy that you wonder if that's ever gonna like the other shoe's gonna drop where people stop subscribing. Or do you think it's so ingrained in people now that everyone just keeps on subscribing because it's, you know, automatically deducted from your account and you just don't care anymore? I think it's a bit of both. Um, it's definitely ingrained in people now, especially over the last year. Um, but I mean, I'm it, juggling. It, it, I'm juggling subscriptions. So, like one month, I'm subscribed to one service, and then I quit, and then start another one, and then quit that one, and go back to another one. 
that's uh that's how I'm rolling. Yeah, I mean, I'm. Uh, this is the the thing that I look at it is is that if if it was a case of they're taking all the subscription money and putting it in there regardless, then Netflix wouldn't be canceling their shows left and right. Amazon seems to have a less, to me, seems to have less of a turnover rate than Netflix does. So it, it, I think it's just they're just taking big risks because they're trying to really push their content and, you know, compete. Um, I, 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 mean, paused, I, I paused Netflix and then about a week later, they sent me an email saying like, Hey, uh, you know, you should restart your subscription because you you should rewatch some of the st- original stuff like Glow, and I'm like, why don't you make a new season of Glow and I'll sign up? Yeah, again. hear that, Sarandos? Give Brad his Glow. Give well, you can't. You don't have to give me MST3K anymore because Joel's gonna go around you. Um, yeah, you can give me Irishman too. How about that? That's yeah. a dumb idea. Don't do that. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So look out for that very expensive show. Um, there's a couple changes to the Oscar ceremony this year. Uh, yeah. Amongst them is that the songs are not going to be in the ceremony. They're going to be done in a pre-show now, which I am not opposed to. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of the last time that I actually cared about the musical performances on stage at the Oscars and I'm did they not even do them last year. Uh, I cannot remember. I know that it well, was a very strange ceremony, but and this year, like the best original songs, I'm like, okay, none of these like strike me as cool. Well, last year, wasn't last year frozen and like, like frozen was the dominant one. I, I, I think remember. they had two in it. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Um I mean the one that one of the ones that I remember the most was probably I guess I guess probably would have been 2003 or 2005. Um 2006 was 2005 was big because they had um uh it's hard out here for a pimp, but um yeah, I'm drawing a huge blank. Uh, on. Yeah, last year was uh shallow that's oh, everywhere. oh, in the shell. Well, no, that, that would have been 2018, my friend. Well, I mean, it's the 2019 Oscars. Oh, yeah. Oh, the 2019. Yeah. They, 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 no, it's actually the 2020 Oscars. So 2020. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. Into the Unknown and the other. Okay. I'm standing with you from Breakthrough. Stand up from Harriet. I can't let you throw yourself away from Toy Story Four. I'm gonna love me again from Rocket Man, and yeah, there's only one Frozen Two, Into the Unknown. Yeah. Yep. Um, and what's more, I didn't realize this was going on, but Steven Soderbergh is producing the Oscars this year, so he says it's going to feel like a movie. Um, uh, so it. I I don't know what that means. I'm curious to see what that means. I hope it means that it's keeps its momentum going and doesn't <laughs> lag. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, so you'll be able to hear "Fight for You" from Judas and the Black Messiah. Woohoo! Hear my voice from the trial of the Chicago Seven. Woohoo! 
Hasuvik from Eurovision Song Contest, A Story of Fire Saga. I hope that wins just because. <laughs> I still Same. need to see this movie. <laughs> IOC, The Life Ahead, and Speak Now from One Night in Miami. Ooh, that's the original song they did because, the, because you can't do a change is going to come. <laughs> um, which, by the way, when... Um, when the guy plays Sam Cooke sings at the end, it's fucking wonderful. <laughs> if you haven't seen One Night in Miami, you should. <laughs> um, moving on, Ryan. Yes. The news seems to be catered to our interests as of late. So the TCM Classics uh, Film Festival uh, being held um, on TCM and HBO Max because um, it's going virtual. Amongst the things that are going to happen is going to be a Plan 9 from Outer Space table read with Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> nice. The cast also includes Lorraine Newman, Bobcat Goldthwait, David Koechner, Oscar, Oscar Nunez, and more. Um, so, yeah, I am excited for this. Um, this is also a good uh, notification for me that the festival is virtual this year because I did not realize they were going to do that again. So, yeah lovely lovely to hear and i will look forward to that table read um and we will move on to some news about the toxic avenger reboot Uh, as we all know peter dinklage is uh leading this whole endeavor um and director macon blair the director of blue ruin is uh helming the project and we've just added jacob tremblay to the cast um there's no word um uh who Tremblay will be playing, but uh, yeah, we'll look forward to that. I'm kind of curious to see what this reboot's turning into. Cause is it a big budget? Cause that's kind of weird. <laughs> it's legend. It's legendary doing it. So I guess so. <laughs> if it's not, if it's not big budget, it's at least middle to higher budget. Like but Ryan, it's going to be bigger than the budget of a normal trauma movie. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think Peter Dinklage's salary is more than a trauma movie costs. Yes, it is. Actually, like, I mean, I, I haven't talked to Zach Bynes in a, uh, for, for a week or so, but um, we had talked about a bit about the reboot and kind of like, cause I'm excited for it. Like I want to see what they do with it, but I was recalling that the first toxic Avenger, like he's not really the superhero character. He's kind of like, it's, it's really much of a revenge movie more than anything else. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not till like the later ones that he becomes a little bit more of a, of a hero figure. Um, but yeah, let's look forward to seeing what Tremblay and Dinklage have to bring us to the screen. Um, and here's a piece of news that will only satisfy me and nobody else. Although Ryan, you might find it interesting just from a searching feed alone. Um, so uh, a filmmaker named Joshua Grossberg, um, is uh is currently documenting a lot of his time uh to find a missing work print for a certain movie directed by a certain man uh who definitely wrote citizen kane uh despite what a big budget netflix movie says um he uh yeah joshua grossberg is trying to find the lost work print for the magnificent ambersons which is a Orson Welles film. It was the second one he made after Citizen Kane, and it was the one that RKO butchered the shit out of um, and basically forced Welles out of a RKO while he was still overseas doing ambassador goodwill ambassadorship work for the War Department. 
So TCM is currently funding a documentary um, and thus also the search for the lost work print of the film. More than likely, it looks like there are, if, if there is any, any single bit of this film, it's somewhere in, uh, the, in South America where Wells would have been cutting his own version of it. So Grossberg is taking the search to wherever it is possible. Um, now, normally these searches are kind of filled with more optimism than not, but there are a lot of odds against this particular search because in the, we're coming up on what now, 80 years of Amberson's existence, um, we have never been able to find a print of the original print that contains the original footage that was excised in favor of the reshoots that RKO did. But there's always the hope when you go back to the story about Metropolis, um, the full cut of Metropolis being found in the Argentine museum. So we could see this thing pop up. It would be really yeah, cool. It happened with uh, a bunch of Oswald, the lucky rabbit cartoons. Exactly. Found in Japan. So you never know. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. The only reason why it feels like almost a hopeless endeavor is only because it sounded like RKO was so pissed at Wells at that point that they would have just burned it out of fucking spite. But if we do get it, there's a shot in the film that has been described by Joseph McBride. And I think Bogdanovich as well has described it, but the shot involved in it would have actually been like an amazing way to end the movie. And on the criterion for the Magnificent Ambersons, you can see a drawing that Joseph McBride did based off of memory of a still shot that he had seen back when he was hanging out with Wells in the seventies. So I want to, if they get this print, I want to see that fucking ending because it sounds like an amazing ending compared to the movie you get, which is uh, a movie that delves into something completely different than what is set up and has a saccharine ending tacked onto it. So um, yeah. Here's hoping we find it, and here's hoping that documentary is just as amazing as the one that Morgan Neville did for the uh, Other Side of the Wind one. Um, now we'll move on to some fun news that's not Zach-related. I'm sorry, guys. Um, uh, well, there is a Zach attached to this piece. We got a new trailer for Army of the Dead, uh, Zack Snyder's little zombie heist film. Did everybody take a look at this trailer? <laughs> nope. This looks a little... It's like a mixture of his Dawn of the Dead with Land of the Dead, where the zombies get smarter. Yep. And <laughs> I, I mean, I guess if he's given shitloads of money, that's what you're going to get with Zack Snyder stuff. So, yep. Well, they're, they're giving him Netflix money. So this is going to be off the walls crazy. But I mean, it's a fun zombie movie. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, like push against that. <laughs> oh, no. I subscribe to Netflix. I'll watch it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, um, and I do like Mr. Bautista. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it actually reminded me of like, you'll have to correct me if I'm getting the, the particular game in this series wrong. But when I was in high school, one of my friends introduced me to a game called left or left for dead. Um, yeah. which had zombies in a casino. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this sounds pre- like the, the look of it reminded me of that game. So I'm just like, oh, I'm down to revisit this kind of feel. So, um, and then the last piece of news that I have is uh, 
Godzilla vs. Kong has now become the highest grossing movie since the pandemic started. Um, it has crossed 80 million at the U.S. box office as of April 18th, uh, and it has grossed over $350 million worldwide as a result of it. So, two big yeah. monsters saved the cinema, boys. <laughs> yep. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thought you wouldn't need a two and a half hour movie to save the box office? Sometimes you just need an hour and 50 minutes of monsters beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> and then they fight a Mecha Godzilla. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call one successful movie after a year uh, saving the cinema. No, you don't need a couple more of those. Okay. I'm being optimistic. I'm still reeling from the news of last week with the Cinerama Dome, but I'm trying to have hope. <laughs> I think um, because I was looking ahead to see when I can see Mortal Kombat and um, the Alamo screenings on Friday and Saturday, like at, you know, 530 in the afternoon to about eight o'clock are almost sold out. So I think as it gets closer, I think it's going to Mortal Kombat might do pretty good. Yeah, That'd be cool. I feel like people are sad about it. So I hope so. And that's news. Uh, you forgot that Alfred Molina confirmed that he is Doc Ock and Spider-Man. You know what, Ryan? I saw that. And what was upsetting to me is we still haven't gotten a confirmation that Willem Dafoe's returning. So my so my interest <laughs> was super <laughs> low. <laughs> uh, but no, it's kind of cool. He talks um, that his arc starts at the moment that he's supposed to die in Spider-Man 2. So oh. I'm still curious on who is going to be the villain rounding up these uh, guys. Because um, obviously it's dealing with the multiverse. Have we, and... conf- have we confirmed that Bruce Campbell isn't not in this movie? Or... <laughs> I don't because... think he is. I mean, it'd be awesome if he was. I'd cry. It, it, but... Because maybe, maybe Sam Raimi in talking with John Watts one day was just like, well, I... I had this idea. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I mean, I know they they just started filming it. They uh, multiverse of madness. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just think it's cool that you know, Alfred Molina basically he's the first person to come out and just say, "Yeah, no, I'm in it." <laughs> um, well, then that means Tobey. Some... Well, then that means Tobey Maguire is definitely in it. So now everybody's just kind of kicking their feet around. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, well, I mean. Did we really believe when Tom Holland says they're not in it? <laughs> like by him yeah, saying that he pretty much confirmed that they were. Yeah, that's that's fair. Like it's he's a nice kid, but it's hard to believe when he says things. <laughs> well, it's hard too with Marvel stuff. I mean, I I'm really hoping <laughs> that they're gonna drop a trailer for it soon. My guess is I think there's a D twenty three conference this year. So hopefully they'll show up there. Or I mean Black Widow's July seventh. So I'm guessing they're going to start dropping like a Shang-Chi trailer and the Eternals and hopefully Spider-Man. Have they, have they, um, here's a question that I have, Ryan, based on Spider-Man lore. Is there a villain within the realm of the Marvel universe that has done this before where he grabs, he or she grabs people from the past via the multiverse or whatever and well uh i mean not necessarily the multiverse but i mean kang the conqueror is like one of the big bads coming up and he is a time traveling mutant so 
is he a big big baddie like thanos level or yeah yeah he's pretty his story's really convoluted i really can't explain it he he's like one of the he used to be like an egyptian mutant and he's able to i don't know it's really complicated he has some really cool stories though um okay but even in in spider-man it's it's called the web and they're all spider-man are all connected in this uh basically the spider versus like there's a big web that connects all the universes together mm-hmm. and by like one thing happening the web goes a different way so maybe instead of peter parker getting bit by a spider it's gwen stacy so that makes spider gwen mm-hmm. and um, or noir spider-man the best yeah. of the spider-man because <laughs> he's yeah, black so, and white <laughs> and then there's these uh monster vampire kind of guys called the inheritors mm-hmm. who hunt down spider people and like drain their life essence and they use the web to do it do they like um, do it by biting into their necks like vampires or uh no they they kind of grab them and just you know like take their have, life essence yeah like yeah. like a dementor kind of but not without the yeah. dementor's kiss or whatever <laughs> yeah so i don't know how they're gonna do it I, i'm really interested in this film because they haven't said anything about it it's completely done filming <laughs> so i don't know um i'm really interested yeah no i'm i'm totally down for it I and you it. know because tom holland says he's going to take like a year off because he went straight from uncharted to shooting spider-man so he's earned a break yep as as we all have but yeah we've all this we, spider-man and every man deserve a break <laughs> um but yeah, no, that is exciting. And actually, I'd like to start seeing some stuff for Shang-Chi and Eternals. I didn't realize Eternals might have been already like in the middle of filming. But No, the Eternals is done. The Eternals is done? Yeah, they finished the it last year. What the hell? It's supposed to come. So it's like uh, Black Widow is July. I think Shang-Chi is September now. The Eternals November. is November. Then Spidey is Christmas. All right. So... Merry Christmas to you, Frost. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, it was supposed to come out, you know, on Black Widow's old date, but I guess I can wait five more months. Yeah, you can. As long as I get, because I'm getting three Marvel movies in those five months. So. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. That's going to be an interesting trajectory. <laughs> um, but yeah. Cool. Movies come out on Blu-ray and Ultra HD, and sometimes they pique our interest. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. So, full disclosure, Blu-ray.com decided to not work today. So, I'm uh, using... Yeah, they have a server problem. Really? Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Because I thought... Because I went to my uh, my movies um, app. Because uh-huh. I go there for specs. Because I'm writing my Friday the 13th review right now. And it's so fucking big that it's taken me forever. But I go there to get the specs on, like, um, you know, what audio and, um, like, uh, video uh, they use and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I couldn't do it. <laughs> so I had to go to IMDb and actually, like, like select the tech specs on IMDb and stuff. But, um, yeah. And they, they said they had a server issue. That's going to okay. take them days to fix. Damn. Well, so then in the meantime, we are using digital bits today. Uh, first of all, you can get a movie called Boss Level uh, with Frank Grillo, Mel Gibson, 
and Naomi Watts and Michelle Yeoh. Um, you can get a movie called Crisis with Gary Oldman and Evangeline Lilly. Uh, you can get uh, Death Ranch. <laughs> uh, don't know what this is about, but it's called Death Ranch. Um, there is going to be a Blu-ray release um, of Dave Chappelle's Block Party, uh, which, what I recall, was, was a fun little time. Um, and then from the Criterion of it all, you can get the Blu-ray version of the Anthony Mann film, The Furies with Barbara Strike, Barbara Stanwyck, not Streisand. <laughs> Barbara nice. Yeah, I want to see that one. I heard it's a good one. I have the DVD version, Ryan. Um, it is good. Um, but I am definitely going to be upgrading to this Blu-ray because I, I want the Blu-ray. <laughs> it's a good movie. Um, but, um, but I'll still keep that the I, I I haven't looked to see if it has the same like thick booklet that the DVD does, but I'm gonna take a guess and assume it does. Um, and then if you want a movie from the director of Parasite, uh, you can get Memories of Murder, one of his other film, one of his earlier films, courtesy of the Criterion Collection this week. And you can also get from Arrow Switchblade Sisters. Uh, you can get yeah. That yeah, get that on Blu-ray if you'd like. Uh, and the complete series of Till Death. That's Blu-rays, guys, because Digital Bits is lacking. <laughs> um, I can pick some up for you. Uh, Warner Archive is releasing The Mutiny on the Bounty with Charles Lawton and Clark Gable. Mr. Christian, come here! <laughs> uh, did you mention Chariots of Fire? No, I didn't. <laughs> Uh, Chariots of Fire is also coming out. Uh, also, the fine folks at uh, Warner Archive are doing Annie Get Your Gun. Yeah. Which is a fun movie. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, that's all the other ones I see. <laughs> are you, you're on Digital Bits, right? Uh, no, I am on um, High Def Digest. High Def Digest. Okay. Um, see, this is what happens when Blu-ray.com fails us, Ryan. <laughs> I do remember. Oh, I did uh, blind buy something called the Mortuary Collection, which is a Shutter exclusive movie that is okay. um, is an anthology that's supposed to be really gory, and it's gotten good reviews. So, okay, the Mortuary Collection. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And that is it. Right on. So, yeah, the bottom line is, guys, Blu-rays. Buy them. Or I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> we watch films throughout the week in a segment I call What We've Been Watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Brad, what'd you watch this week? A couple things. Uh, last Stop week, stealing I... my catchphrase. <laughs> okay. Uh, last week, I, I forgot I, I watched the 76 King Kong. Uh, that movie's not good for the first time, and yeah, no one tells you that Kurt Russell's in it. <laughs> not sure why he uh, isn't re- remembered for that one. Um, yeah, it, it just kind of is. I, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> I have it. The Screen Factory. I'm getting the collector's edition coming out because they have a bunch of interviews and a making of it, and I'm really interested. Yeah, in I, the making of. I'd be more, more fascinated so than the in the movie. 
Yeah, I'd be more <laughs> fascinated by the how like how it's made and like what choices went into it because yeah, it's like really just uh you know, they're on a boat and they go to the island and there's like dude in a Kong suit and isn't it really weird too where he takes the top off of that chick? Yeah, well he like his finger brushes her, but yeah, it's definitely exploitive for sure. <laughs> like there's no reason <laughs> for this weird. to happen. Yeah. Well, he does that in the original King Kong. He takes like one of the layers off of Fay Ray's dress. Yeah, but I guess this one he has top. like this weird grin on his face. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Point taken. <laughs> it's yeah, it's just unnecessary. You know, I'm sure there's a, a, a negotiation about that <laughs> on set. Um, yeah, and then um. It just kind of plays out like the original. It's just kind of updated for modern special effects. Um, so, yeah. And then uh, I watched... There's a documentary called Mr. America where Tim Heidecker is running for a district attorney only to get back at the prosecutor who tried to put him in jail for killing a bunch of people at a... like. Firefest style concert that he put together. I mean, he's playing a character, but um, yeah, it's like a fake documentary about running for DA, and it's okay. Um, mm. Tim's character is so unlikable that you're just kind of like, let's just get through, like, get to the end of this already. Um, you know, he just kind of goes from scene to scene, fake mockumentary style uh just like screwing with people and just being kind of shitty to his his campaign manager and uh tricking like real people in in places and yeah uh he's got like a buddy he used to do a cinema show with which i guess this is um a movie that pulls together a bunch of him and his friends projects into like a single thing but i have no reference for all that so i'm sure fans are like oh this is brilliant because it brings in all these different projects he did and i like i i've never exposed to him so i'm just like watching this mean-spirited movie about this guy who's trying to be da so he can get out of like feeling like he's a murderer um yeah Oh, that's what it was. He poisoned, like he accidentally poisoned the vape juice for all these people with this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I rewatched Batman with Zach, Batman sixty six. We yes, talked about that old show. <laughs> and I watched Always Sunny, the f- three seasons, three of the most recent seasons of Always Sunny. And I love that funny. show so yeah. much. <laughs> I just love how much shitty people they are. Yeah. Um, I just got done watching this one where yeah, they go to the Eagles, they're going to the Super Bowl, and they split into like two episodes where one is Charlie. is It's kind of like a remake of Home Alone where Charlie gets stuck at the bar <laughs> and, he, and he has to do his uh, like superstitious rituals to make sure the Eagles win. And yeah, it's like part Home Alone parody and just part goofiness where he like steps at a bear trap and <laughs> has to drink his own piss um and then the, <laughs> the, the second episode after that uh follows mac and everyone else going to the actual super bowl 
you know, their superstitious things. And then, um, you know, by the end, it like flashes back to what Charlie's doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just haven't watched that show in a while. And yeah, it's, it's still really funny. And just they really push the envelope on some things. Uh, yeah, it's I, I just love because they constantly push the envelope and they really don't care about what happens. Yeah. And, and when you think about it, too, there's really no um, like continuity to it, you know? Oh, yeah. There's like there's a clip show where it's part clip show, part not like new episode. And there's like parts where like there's two Charlies and uh, there's one where like the second Charlie is like watching in on other people's like flashbacks and stuff. <laughs> it just makes no sense. And they acknowledge that they're just like clearly just trying to like pad an episode. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like Charlie stepped into a bear trap <laughs> in the one I was talking about. And, you know, the next episode is fine. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, like I'll, almost each episode they ma- managed to take like a current like controversial topic and turn it into an episode. So it's interesting going back like the past four years that I missed and <laughs> seeing uh-huh. what they picked up on. Um, and then the last thing I watched. Yeah. The last thing I watched was really good was the orange years, which is a documentary about the uh, rise of Nickelodeon. Oh, cool. Yeah, and so if you if you want to f- in in an hour and a half go back and relive fifteen years of Nickelodeon, that's this is the way to do it. Um, yeah, it was fascinating. It's a little uh, like halfway through, like the first half is great because they really show the detail of like how it came to be, and then the last half is kind of like you know little member berries where remember this show? It was cool. And then yeah. we, got, we got some people back from it to talk about it. Remember this show? Yeah. But yeah, the first half is really good because it shows like Nickelodeon started in like Ohio as this local cable show called Pinwheel, which was kind of like Jim Henson's Muppet Productions, but not Jim Henson. So it was just like this real cute like puppet show thing. Um, then like the producer from that went on to cable and started Nickelodeon and like the first couple years of Nickelodeon were kind of rough because they were just um, like adults programming kid stuff. And then they got a new producer and she listened to kids and then made stuff that appealed like from their point of view instead of like what parents thought it should be. And then it like yeah. it's it's just kept rising and taking off and uh yeah, it was cool to see uh you know, people who were kids then talk about it as like forty year old adults. Um and there's like this one like really sad part where like I forgot they actually took Double Dare on the road and did live shows in malls. Um and so at one point towards the end, uh Mark Summers is talking about like yeah, I, I up and quit Nickelodeon because one day my kid came up to me and said, "Like, how, how come you can spend all this time while these other kids around the country, but you don't have any time for us?" And so, no shit. <laughs> yeah, without, without hesitation, he stopped. And um, yeah, pretty much like the, you know, this golden age of it stopped after uh, like Universal Studios got rid of the Nickelodeon Studios 
campus, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I always wanted to go to that. <laughs> yeah, me too. And uh, yeah, I wish I'd wish I'd found the time to do that right after high school. That would have been great. Um, but yeah, that was like their own, like everything was there. Um, you know, you could take a tour and watch them make the shows uh, like in real time and stuff. And uh, yeah, what else? Yeah, like uh, you can't do that on, sh- on television was really like so important to that network getting off the ground because they had trouble make- making their own stuff. And so they outsourced like Danger Mouse and Count Duckula, like foreign programs and like dub them. And then they got that show from Canada and just like like everything about like like slime and like the locker gag, like everything you kind of associate with Nickelodeon really came mm-hmm. from that program. Um, yeah, and then it it talks about like the cartoons, and then like you know, Ren and Stippy taken off, but MTV took it from them at one point because mm. I because I remember growing up being like, what happened to that? Like it was only like on there for two seasons or something. And it's because uh, MTV swooped it up from them. Uh, yeah, yeah. They talk all... about the origins of Stick Stickly. Uh, they mention it, but they don't talk about the origins of them. That's uh, bullshit. <laughs> we talk about the adventures of Pete and Pete. I didn't realize Toby Huss was uh, the imaginary friend guy. What's his name? Ah, oh, shoot. No, I don't know. It's like Alfie or something. But he's like, he's, he's like the dude in the like tight spandex with the like the striped shirt and the glasses. Do you remember that? Hmm. He's Pete like little Pete, Pete's but... imaginary friend. Pete and Pete don't remember that at all. Yeah. I think it's Artie. I think Artie's his name. Yeah. But yeah, it's just weird. Like that dude is in a bunch of stuff I like now, like Halt and Catch Fire. And um, he was obviously on King of the Hill a bunch. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it a really good, like, yeah, they talk about like Snick and. No, fuck Snick. Yeah, and Nick News, like, oh, there's this heartbreaking thing where uh, Linda Ellerby, like, they do the AIDS uh, special, I guess, with Magic Johnson. And I oh. remember, like, I think I saw that, but, like, as a kid, like, not a lot registered with me. But watching it now, like, there's there's other, like, kids in the audience that they don't know are AIDS positive. And so at one point, like, she asked her, like, is, is anyone else here, like, positive and these two or three kids raise their hands and um like this one little girl's like crying because she's just made talks about how she's been made to feel like like an outcast and stuff and they're consoling her and it's just like yeah and they like they didn't plan on that so yeah yeah it's it's a really cool documentary um nice yeah i think that's it that's it for me Zach? Um, watched a couple things. Um, I have my letterbox up here. Now I don't. Um, so, uh, after our show last week, um, I finally watched for the first time Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde uh, from 1931. This is the Frederick March one, Ryan. Where, Academy Award winner. Yes. After Academy Award winner Frederick March and Ryan. Holy shit we've been missing out on the best Jekyll and Hyde ever. 
Um, it, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So all you need to know is God, God takes a, a formula and lets out his, uh, inner, inner insane, crazy, unstable person. And, uh, he becomes a total fucking asshole. Um, but, um, it, it's pre code Ryan. So it's pretty unflinching and pretty damn dark. <laughs> Um, awesome yeah it uh so the movie starts off ryan with um point of view first person point of view through jekyll's eyes and it is hmm. some of the most ambitious pre-30 like like pre-code like early sound era filmmaking i've ever seen like it is really ambitious for what it's doing um so this is clearly a time where um at the very least paramount had figured out how to and Mumulian in particular had figured out how to lift the camera off of its limitations with the new sound equipment. Um, and we've seen the clip of the transformation more than once um, in universal docs. Um, they do the transformation a ton in the movie um, from different angles. Um, they use that same trick throughout uh, and March as a result um, when even when he's when he's Mr. Hyde, the only thing that's dated about it is some of the dialogue, but the actions and what he is doing uh, throughout the movie to um, Miriam Hopkins, uh, who plays Ivy Pearson, who's this. Uh, I, I I guess she's a, a prostitute um, or a, a lady like a a lady of the night. And she, um, she, he, he is, uh, like basically holding her in a virtually like emotionally and physically abusive relationship when he's Hyde. And then when he turns back into Jekyll, you know, he just goes about doing his doctor stuff, but he becomes more and more withdrawn and unstable. It's been a while since I've read Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, so bear with me. But, um, the, uh, uh, the thing that amazes me in it is that, He's towing a bunch of lines in a way that it's very clear he wins the Oscar for the emotional range of the performance and not necessarily the horror element. So it like it's like one of those instances where like a horror movie is winning that Oscar just because it's like this one standout thing and otherwise what is being filmed and portrayed as a typical horror movie of its era. Um, it's fantastic. I got it off of Warner Archive. I have no idea exactly why the Paramount version here is at uh, Warner and not at Universal because it's a Paramount title. So it theoretically should have gone over to Universal. But um, when I got the disc, Ryan, it uh, had the trailer for the Spencer Tracy, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde on it as well. So I'm guessing at some point there was a dual release where they had this version and then the Spencer Tracy version, which if you've seen the Spencer Tracy version, which is kind of terrible, um, it's night and day. Like this this one from 31 with Frederick March is the superior Jekyll and Hyde movie from that era to watch. Um, and frankly, if I'm going off of recollection, I don't think we've had a good Jekyll and Hyde movie within the modern era that I'm aware of, or at least one that's called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, and then I rewatched The Wolf of Wall Street um that's a great movie about terrible people that people watch wrong um but yeah still works 
as Brad said, we rewatched Batman 1966 for an episode of Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review, which I'm going to say Brad takes over that episode because he was way more prepared than I was on certain things. But I kind of ex- kind of expected him to have a little bit more Batman knowledge in his back pocket than I did. So um, if anybody wants to hear Brad be a badass on Ballyhoo, look for that sometime in June. Um, and uh, then I rewatched some... Uh, uh, gangster movies uh, from the uh, pre-code era or well one from uh, after the code was established um, I hadn't seen either of these since college the first one was Bullets or Ballots with Edward G. Robinson um, Edward G. Robinson plays a cop who used to kind of run around in uh, underworld circles but he got out of it uh, a new police commissioner uh, is elected to get tougher on crime he lets Edward G. Robinson's character go so we see Edward G. Robinson's character going towards the gangs, but oh no, guess what, guys? Edward G. Robinson's actually not uh, turning evil after all. He's doing undercover work for the new police commissioner. I um, knew it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Ryan. This is after the code is established. You can't have Edward G. Robinson play a bad guy throughout the entire movie. <laughs> You've got to have a moral center. Um, and that, and actually, it's an example of like at a certain point when all those gangster movies were coming out. Once the code is est- like firmly established and like immovable, the gangster movies had to have this workaround where like Cagney and Eddie G specifically uh, were given good guy roles in the in the mold of a gangster, but they had good guy morals and intentions that kind of seated around crime um and this is around the time where bogart's becoming the guy that gets bumped off in the ninth in the in the in the last reel so um and uh but it's actually a really good movie i i i i'm really glad i rewatched it from this context because uh louise beavers is in it and she plays a very small but honestly kind of like intriguing role as a um uh, an african-american woman who's running a numbers game with joan blondell and there's a scene where she's basically standing up to two white businessmen who are trying to muscle in on her and blondell's game and she like stands up to them and it's like this powerful image that i'd never like witnessed like from the modern context and like this actually works like I think when I first saw this film, I kind of looked at it as like, well, it's a shame that she didn't get enough to do. And I'm looking at it today and I'm like, it's kind of amazing that they even had this scene in here. Um, so Louise Beaver is really good in it. Um, it's got it problems of its era, but it's still a really interesting scene. Uh, and Joan Blondell's really good in it too. And then I rewatched a movie called Lady Killer with James Cagney. Um, this is one you'll like, Ryan. Uh, because I, I latched onto this one in college. Cagney plays a theater usher who then turns to crime and then flees New York after he uh, might be suspected of murder and ends up becoming a big Hollywood star. So it's kind of like the George Raft story. <laughs> Not really, but uh, you could tell that there's some kind of like homages to it. And uh, it's very much a Hollywood spoof kind of parody movie. This is the Cagney Hollywood send up movie. You should watch other instead of boy meets girl. Um, It's really solid. Roy Del Luth directs it and it's got a nice amount of kinetic speed to it. It's only 75 minutes. So you're in and out and you get a fun time in the, in the process. There's a scene where a cop 
is going after Cagney and then the Hollywood producer pulls him over and says, like, Cagney, I want you in my movie. Show up just as you are, unkempt, unshaven, looking like a mess. You're going to play a prisoner. And the cop is like, can I be in the movie too? I have my day off tomorrow. <laughs> and so he's like, sure, yeah, come on in. And so they bring him to set. And the goal of the whole scene is that Cagney has to punch this cop who's playing a cop. <laughs> so it's like, it's the way they, it's a way, it's an interesting way to get him to be able to smack a, smack a, smack a copper at that time without it feeling like too risque, um, given the character he's supposed to play. Um, so yeah, I, I think you'll get a kick out of it, Ryan. I'll loan it to you next time you're here. Sweet. Uh, and then, uh, and then the last thing I watched was another Amicus movie. Um, my friend Kev, uh, does a show on this production company and they did a bond kind of movie called danger route, uh, or the man who should have stayed in the cold with Richard Johnson of the haunting fame and zombie two fame. Um, it, it's, it makes, James Bond, it's Sean Connery era James Bond movies look uh, far like it, they, it makes them look like kinetic movies of this era by comparison. Uh, it's very choppy. Um, the plot is pretty incoherent. <laughs> um, when, once you gather what's going on, you've sort of lost interest. Um, I like three things about it. One is the score at the end of a huge explosion. <laughs> Uh, the other one being Richard Johnson, just hanging around. I like watching him act. He's fun. Um, he's not playing a great character, but whatever. Um, and then there's a final scene where basically he plays this guy named Jonas Wild, who is, uh, an assassin who's trying to get out of the game, but somebody, but one of his superior, these superior guys is like, no, 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 no. We need you to do one more job. And, uh, by the time we get to the end, there's two confrontation scenes, one with somebody who's betrayed him. And there's some interesting angles for the sixties in them. Um, and just the way the scene plays out is kind of interesting. And at the very end, the guy who brought him in on this job, he's trying to tell him he's out. He's like, aha, but I've got you cornered killing the person that betrayed you. So um, you're stuck with working for me now, buddy boy. And it ends on this, on a very, very lackadaisical freeze frame of Richard Johnson. <laughs> as the credits roll and i was just kind of like just kind of sat back in my chair going like man that was 98 minutes i'll never get back <laughs> but i kind of want to rewatch it to see if i can try to cohere the like get this plot through my head because <laughs> it seemed like every twist and turn was absolutely unnecessary for no reason like it's almost like they're trying to keep up with um like how do we make something different than bond which has become a bit formulaic by a certain point and it's just like well it's a spy thriller so they're just throwing things in left and right and i'm just like guys like pick a lane <laughs> um so yeah but it's interesting if you're looking for like a what what people were trying to capitalize off of in the bond realm uh on the lower tier scale because this is amicus and it i don't i mean they, it looks like they've usually made, they, they don't, from what I've seen, it seems like they're not like super cheap. Like they're not Ed Wood cheap, but you know, there's a difference between how like a bond movie looks and how danger route looks. So, um, but if you feel like watching it and I do recommend you check it out to see for yourself, uh, it's on Amazon for like a dollar 99 to rent. And I don't regret spending the money. So <laughs> I had fun giving it a look. <laughs> 
Uh, and that's all I watched this week. Modern day Jekyll and Hyde is is uh, called the Hulk. Yeah, there you go. Good job, Brad. But that's not horror. The si- but he's a superhero. In in in, in Doctor Jekyll, and Mister Hyde, Mister Hyde's an asshole, like a huge asshole. Yeah, Hulk, Hulk's Hulk, an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. up until a certain point. <laughs> that, I, I I see the parallels there. Yeah, I, I'm sure if Doctor Jekyll had spent more time, he could have you know blended the two like the Hulk eventually gets to. But you know, Avengers one man, he's just smashing whatever he wants. See, Robert Louis Stevenson didn't have the foresight of Stan Lee. <laughs> hey, Ryan, did you watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier this week? I did watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier this week. I forgot to talk about it. It was, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought it was quite the episode, actually, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I thought it was the best one yet. Yeah, I got. I was reading some people thought it had pacing problems, but I don't think there's anything wrong with you know, you take moments to let characters like breathe. And I actually like got a little teary eyed when he goes and visits Isaiah again. Yeah. And you know, he's, you know, they're saying that he was thrown in jail just because of who he was. And the world isn't ready for, you know, a black captain America. And then you knew that's what, you know, Sam was building towards. And I, I, I got all like emotional, while uh, he was doing the uh, montage and talking to Bucky and um, you know Bucky even had that line he said you know I never thought about what it would mean for there to be a black Captain America and he apologized for it you're like holy shit this is really fucking deep (laughs) yeah he's like Um, yeah yeah and it just gave the characters chances a chance to like you know be their character yeah, I thought it just kind of summed up like what the point of the series really was, you know, after all. Yeah, oh yeah. Um Yeah, it's just it's heartbreaking that like like we already knew like Isaiah Bradley had a raw deal, but um, you know, when it when he finally like comes to the end of it and says like no self respecting black man would want to be Captain America, you know, and then Yeah. Sam's gonna go through with it with it anyway, and then you also gotta think like He's going to do it without taking a serum. So he's going to be a, yep. become a Captain America that's just a normal human being. Yeah, because uh, you, you also, because, you know, the last episode ended with John Walker killing that guy. And, you know, I can't help but think, uh, remember when, I, I can't believe I can't remember the doctor's name who picked Steve Rogers. Erskine. Thank you. And he says, you know, you need to be a, a good man not a good soldier and yeah, the serum just john, amplifies it's already there yeah and john walker is like you know the antithesis of that where he's a good soldier but he's also really arrogant and has some issues obviously and by getting the serum it just amplifies his um douchey hodge from the first one uh <laughs> the serum yeah, it's it's uh, and that's uh, what I think Wyatt Russell is so great in this is because at the beginning you want to like him, but you know you shouldn't, and then you do hate him, and it just justifies everything you felt about him. Um, so I think he's a great antagonist for this series. 
Ryan, are you saying that the son of Kurt Russell is a good actor? Yeah, no, he's really good. It's almost as if that was preordained. <laughs> you know, sometimes he sounds like Kurt Russell too. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> um, and then, of course, we've got, uh, I guess, Madam Hydra. Yeah, played by Julia Louis Dreyfus, which is awesome. <laughs> Spoilers. Um, but what, yeah, kind of. Sorry. I was going to say, like, y- you know more about the Marvel history. So I was kind of like wondering what the play is with that. Like, yeah, I don't know, but I, I don't know if they're trying to do Thunderbolts where they're like, uh, the Thunderbolts are villains that are quote unquote reformed, but they're like bad guy Avengers where I guess it's kind of Marvel's version of the Suicide Squad. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Where it's, they're not really good people and they could always turn you know, at the flip of a coin and they do the jobs that nobody else wants to do. And it seems like she's recruiting people for that, but I don't know. Um, I, I was reading an article, I forget where, but I think she shows up in black widow and black widow was supposed to come out before um, Falcon and the winter soldier. So maybe her story is a little more explained. I don't know. But she used to be a love interest for Nick Fury. And yeah, she's um, been tied with Hydra and S.H.I.E.L.D. in comics. I don't know what she's going to be in (laughs) the MCU. Yeah. But yeah, it's a pretty cool turn of events. And sadly, there's only one more episode to go. So, yeah. The good news is we'll get to see Sam Wilson, hopefully, as Captain America. So. I know, like such a tease to end on. Just like you can't see the suit yet, you just get to see him looking at it. <laughs> like I know, rock. and like I, it's one of those. See, they said it was pacing issues, but it's one of those episodes. Like this is over already. Fuck. Yeah. Um, how long is each episode? Uh, they vary. That one was like an ish. hour and five minutes or something like that. Yeah. And there's but, that mid credits thing with uh John Walker building his own shield. <laughs> yeah pretty demented so, yeah he doesn't give a fuck <laughs> yeah good stuff um i only watched two things this week um i'll talk about the, this one first because it's god awful so i i rewatched mortal Kombat annihilation and Aww. it's so it is so bad it, Do you I, need a hug ryan <laughs> no it's it's disappointing because I love, you know, the property so much, but it's so bad that the director has no idea what he's doing. Um, he, I don't notice directors as much until it's really obnoxious, if that makes sense, um, where he would do shots and they would always be Dutch angles. And then it'd be, it'd be, Liu Kang punching someone and then the next cut would be the reaction of that punch so there's no fluidity to the action at all mm. and the storyline is horrendous it's they who, took go ahead I was going to say who directed Annihilation uh, John Leonetti he also directed Annabelle so um, which is an okay yeah. <laughs> movie, but it's definitely only saved by its ending. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the horror movie Annabelle. Yeah, yeah. the the prequel. The doll. The, the yeah. prequel. The prequel movie that then got a prequel and then a sequel. But he hasn't directed too many things. He's uh, more of a, he's a crew guy. And I think they just gave him an opportunity because he worked on some big movies. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's a DP by trade. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the CGI is so bad. And it, it was shocking. I was doing some research while watching it because I was getting bored. And it costs $30 million to make, which, I mean, what is that in 1997? That's probably like 80, $90 million now. Um, and it's just, it's like green screens before they could figure out how great green screens were or to use them properly. Um, Shiva in it has computer generated second arms, but it's a really bad costume with her. Oh, it's, it's so bad. It, it blends the stories of Mortal Kombat 3 with a touch of Mortal Kombat 4. And it just tries to hit, says, hey, remember Cyrax from Mortal Kombat 3? Well, here he is. It's just bad. It's good. Well, the first one is kind of like a guilty pleasure. This one is just not good. The uh, cinematographer is Matt Leonetti. I think that's related. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. It was just bad. The guy who played and, uh, uh, Leonardo is Raptor number one. <laughs> oh, Ray Parks in this Raptor. Yeah, three. it's his first movie. Baraka, number two. Yep, the Barakas looks like um, some dude wearing a Halloween Baraka mask. <laughs> it, it's bad. And there's uh, an interview with uh, the dude who plays Liu Kang. And he talks about how much he hates the movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, I, it came with the uh, steel book that I got from Best Buy where it had both films in it. Um, the steel book's cool. I like the first movie. I won't, um, I won't watch the second one again for probably another 10, 15 years. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, and the last thing I watched this week is a, a really great movie. It's called Room. It stars oh, yeah. uh, uh, Brie Larson and uh, God, we just talked about that little boy. What's his Jacob, name? Jacob Tremblay. Thank you. Um, and this movie is one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. Um, if you don't know the story, it's actually kind of two movies in one. Um, the first half of the movie deals with um, Brie Larson, who just goes by the name Ma at the beginning, and her son, and they're in this room. And you find out the room is where she's being held captive by a guy who kidnapped her seven years prior. And uh, her little boy, Jack, is the product of her being sexually assaulted by a guy they call uh, Old Dave. And uh, their life together in this uh, place called Room. And... um, you know, the, it's just a really great character study. And, um, you know, when she's telling him or trying to get her son to go along with her plans to get out of there um, is really kind of sad, but inspiring at the same time. I don't know how to put it, but, you know, she, 
she tells him that she's been lying to him that there's everything outside this room and that scene is so sad where he doesn't believe her and um then eventually when he gets out he adjusts better to life on the outside than she does and i don't know it's just like a really powerful movie and that everybody in the movie is incredible yeah the thing that shocked me the most was when she gets out she can't deal with it well yeah she she kind of turns on everybody helping her um yeah yeah where she was worried that her son couldn't handle it but he kind of fits right in yeah Um, i mean it takes him a little time obviously but um you know i i cried a couple times this movie too when uh he's getting his hair cut and he says i love you grandma (laughs) you go oh man um just it's a really well done movie and i mean brie larson deserves the oscar for it she's so great in it um she has that scene where her mom is talking to her and she's on the couch and she's just you know screaming at her mom about you know um i'm sorry i'm so like fucked up and it's just a really powerful scene. Um, and William H. Macy is incredible for the three minutes he's in the movie. Hmm. Um, which if you watch the behind the scenes on it, they, they talk about that, that they didn't know if they could get a great actor to do it, but they needed a great actor. And he read that part and he decided to do it because it's such a great small role. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a great movie. It's, it's so good. And that's should, uh, all I watched this week. <laughs> should check out a uh, short term twelve. If you get a chance, yeah, that's really good. It's another Brie Larson. It's early Brie Larson. Brie, Brie Larson too. Before, um, except before, I can't remember. If that, it's after Scott Pilgrim, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, she's uh, a. I forget she's what quite the, the actress. I forget what it's about, but I remember it being good. So, like, really good. Like, ah, oh, so good. Yeah. She, Yep, she's really good and man, hello. She's beautiful. Um I have the Blu-ray, Ryan, I'll loan it to you. Cool. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, because I think the director of Room in his commentary talks about uh seeing her in that, and that's why he wanted her for Room. Because hmm. she's really good in it. Um uh, this week on Real Nerds, we saw Sound of Metal. Zach, should people see Sound of Metal? Yeah, you should. Um, I found it a very tough emotional sit for the majority of it, so I don't know how quick I'll be to return to it, but it's really masterful um, with between sound design and really digging into silent film moments. Uh, Riz Ahmed is fucking perfect in the movie. Um, yeah, if, you, if you've got Amazon, you need to pop this on. It's two hours, and it, it hooks you in pretty quick. Brad, should people watch Sound of Metal? Uh, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I went to this movie thinking it was a, you know, a guy, a guy dealing with hearing loss, but it's really a movie about dealing with addictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not the addiction you think. Um, but uh, yeah, the performances are, are intense and great, and uh, it's just a joy to see uh, the deaf community represented really well. So. Um, yeah, definitely check it out. Yeah, I agree with everything both of you said. Um, 
it's at times a tough watch at times it's a really uplifting watch um when you see all the other uh deaf characters in it and how they've responded to their um disability and it's a really interesting thing to see somebody who thinks he can overcome that with uh you know in spoilers uh anyways here's the um trailer for sound of metal you sound great. Yeah, right. What? You're telling me you weren't feeling it? You were in it. We don't, need to, we don't need to put them all out. I know, but we have to keep going. hearing is deteriorating rapidly we'll come back till then lou we just keep going okay no lou no let's play tomorrow let's see what it's like okay i'm gonna be like a click track you can play to me you have to understand your first responsibility is to preserve the hearing you have i can't hear you do you understand me i can't i'm deaf i'm deaf found a place. I think it's important that you stay here with us right now, Ruben. We're looking for a solution to, to this. Not this. I need you to wait for me, okay? You're in for me. Lou, you're my part. You're in for me, okay? You gotta wait for me. keep moving it can be a damn cruel place but those moments of stillness In the sound of metal, uh, Riz Ahmed plays Ruben, a drummer in a metal band, and he starts losing his hearing, and he has to start coping with that. On top of uh, everything else that's going on in his life, which is really interesting, mm-hmm. um, and he, uh, you know. Um, Lou, his girlfriend, played by Olivia Cook, um, you know, takes him to this uh, through their friend Hector, I guess, uh, to this community of people that are deaf and how to live with being deaf. And I can't remember the name of the actor who is like the head counsel guy there. Um, um, I had him pulled up. Sorry. It was um, Paul Racy. 
Yeah, he also got nominated for an Academy Award. He's really great in it. Yeah, um, I I forgot to look at the nominations list before um, after watching it, but yeah, god damn it, this the there's a scene in there that um, with him and with Joe and Ruben that is absolutely gobsmackingly brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and it's um, it's an interesting film because it it moves really quickly when you know it doesn't seem like much happens in it but then as you start peeling it back there's a lot going on mm-hmm. um and yeah it's anchored by incredible performances throughout the movie yeah there's a there's there's something interesting to be said about the way it tackles um two different sets of addiction in in the course of its film and as Brad said, it it becomes about the addiction you're not expecting. And um, we're in spoiler territory now, so I guess I can just say it. There's a, there's a certain point where Ruben finds a way to get a procedure to fix his hearing. Yeah. And, Cause that's, uh, yeah, I guess I kind of didn't really touch on it because that's all he thinks he wants. Yeah. He thinks that he can go have surgery to get his hearing back. And he can go back to playing his drums and everything will be okay. At and, some point, he and his girlfriend were addicted to drugs or whatever and managed to get off of it. And he's filled that void with the drumming and the, and the live shows and, the, and you know this traveling lifestyle. And now that that's not there anymore, you know he's searching for his next fix. And to get yeah. that back is getting the $40,000 hearing aid. Um, and it's, you know, on the, on the whiteboard, um, you know, the whole, movie, deaf. the whole movie is for him is like, you just need to learn how to sit in silence and learn to be deaf. Yeah. 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 And by the time he gets through a journey that he's gone on where he seemingly accepts things, which, which I, I mean, there were elements to it that I latched onto in the respect of just like, well, if you've got all these tools then you should be able to fix all the things that, that you left broken when you went into a facility like this. And the scene where he's talking to Joe uh, after he's gotten the operation and Joe uh, has completely um, lost his trust in, Ruben and he explains to him the way because the way the way Ruben explains it is that this is this is what he wanted this is what he's working towards and then he starts asking like I need money to pay back the money I was given for my van and all my stuff in it so that I can get my van and my stuff in it back to go back to my life and Joe goes you know the way you're talking right now you sound exactly like an addict <laughs> Mm-hmm. and it's such it's such a fucking flooring moment and you watch the disappointment and heartbreak on joe's face when he explains like you don't understand i can't have you here anymore because the people that i have here in my life we base ourselves on the fact that we are not broken just because we are deaf and they're dealing with two different forms of fight. They're dealing with addiction and then they're dealing with loss of a very important element of human function. And so to have Riz Ahmed do the thing he did, like it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, 
it's tough to swallow because it's like, I can't have you here now because you've basically thrown, thrown in the, thrown in, thrown something onto you that literally defeats the purpose of the uplift I'm trying to bring here. And it's a very tough thing to sit in. And then by the time you get to the end, like that, that final shot where he rips out the hearing aid is fucking beautiful. It's like, it's like the, some of the best silent filmmaking you'll ever see comes out of this movie. And that's like one of the peak, like that's like the, the, the icing on the cake in that film. And also before um, that, when he reconnects with uh, Lou in Paris, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's excited to be, be with her, but after a while he kind of realizes that he's by being with her, he's dragging her back into his kind know, of like gypsy lifestyle. Mess. Yeah his mess uh of a life so um mm-hmm. and then yeah it shows growth that he recognized it and then let her go so mm-hmm. yeah and the uh, also from the technical acumen the sound design in this movie is is off the charts incredible like it's 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 very inventive it's very immersive um I almost feel like it would have been overwhelming to watch this in a movie theater because of all the things the sound design is doing. <laughs> yeah. Like it it's probably, a... you saw it in the theater, right, Brad? No, I wish I had though. Cause oh. just cause, like even before I started, I was like, well, this is a movie about sound. So I, I wish I was watching in the optimal presentation. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's also like a monkey's paw element where like he spends the whole movie, you know, wishing to do this procedure and then he gets it, but you know, he can hear, but it sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. He can't hear music properly. Like that's, that's anything properly. Thing. Yeah. Right. Well, the he, big thing that you, that they touch upon is the fact that like the music sounds absolutely like garbled compared to yeah, having normal hearing. And he finds out that Lou can sing beautifully, you know, not just scream into a microphone all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the tragedy is he f- can only hear that in the worst possible setup, you know? Yeah. 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 That, yeah. That, uh, like metal at the beginning was, man, that was rough to listen to. <laughs> I, I just, it's just not my music. It's so hard for me to get into it and I don't understand the appeal of it at all, but mm. you know, teach their own. Yeah. There's a, those mom- there's moments at the beginning and the top before they get to the, um, to the to, to Joe's facility where they're dipping the sound in and out and they're showing it getting worse and worse for him and like the sound goes down to nothing but a muffle and you're having to watch these actors communicate fa- like with facial expression rather than words and it's 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 very very powerful like like one of the best things you can say about this movie is, is that you can't take your eye off the screen um, both by design and just by the impact of the performances that you are watching. Yeah, it's really well done. Yeah, it's about all I got. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kind of rough because it's 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 a it's a heavy it's a heavy human drama kind of wrapped into this two hours. So it's like you're not talking about anything particularly detail wise apart from the acumen and the performances on it. Like if this were any other year, um, I would say give it to Riz Ahmed for the Oscar, but we all know that Bozeman's rightfully so going to get that Oscar for Mulroney. So, um, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's uh, just thinking the whole time. And I was talking to Laura before we started, you know, I, 
I know I'm biased, but I just I like I I think I loved Kong Godzilla more than maybe I should have because I just miss movies like that. And then like Minari, I had a really good time in because I think it had kind of this nice uplifting message towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know you get Sound of Metal where it's yeah he gets better towards the end, but it's still it's so heavy. And so I'm really excited for Mortal Kombat because I'm like, man, can I just watch something that doesn't have such deep uh, themes? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, because like, have you noticed that so many of our movies have been like that because of that's what's thriving right now? They can't put big budget stuff out, and I realize I'm a big budget movie kind of person. <laughs> Which is, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like, I mean, I will say, like, while I thrive on movies, like the one we watched this week, this one was one of those sits where I was just like, I, I'm, I really, really need to start watching Falcon Winter Soldier now to kind of pick myself back up because I was just like, the this weekend was the wrong weekend for me to watch this movie. But like the the ending for me was enough of an affirmation to be like, okay, this experience was like the, the amount of pain that you experience throughout this film from a positive perspective is like, has, has an uplift by way of introspection at the end. But I was, I'm kind of in your camp Ryan, where I'm just like, I kind of want to watch some monsters fight right now. Cause I need something yeah. else. <laughs> um, but, but I'm glad we watched the film though. Cause I'm oh, yeah, I was, no, it's I was glad to movie. see it. Yeah, because I was kind of like resigned to like catch some of these films when I could. So thankfully, the show like a show like this helps me keep on my toes. So I've enjoyed the back and forth, you know. Yeah, blockbuster here, art house film there. You know, it's just oh yeah, the mix is fun. Um, but we do get Mortal Kombat next week, so that'll be a nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. But then we gotta time. figure out what to fill the next two weeks after that with. So, um. We'll see. Raya, we've been pulling up. We've been holding off Disney animated cartoon for a long time here. Yeah, maybe too long. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I also re- like realized we probably could also maybe do Coming to America. Yeah, we could. Have you watched it? Have any of you guys watched it, or am I the only one? I have not. I had never seen either, so I have to. I'd have to watch both. It's a fun time, and that's all it needed to be, but. I would love to talk about it again if we want to do it again. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see where we're at. We'll see what's going on. Yeah, first we're gonna have May. to we're gonna have to do film explosion twenty and two thousand ninety seven ninety one. God damn, <laughs> fuck ninety one pretty soon there. too because we're gonna start running it because I think we waited too long to do eighty one. <laughs> so I think uh, no because well, we... uh, April. May, June would be 91, July, August be 2001, September, October would be 2011. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're good. June. Uh, I'll just check because we're also doing that other one too. So, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, our our 10 year explode a thon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, That's not the right title. <laughs> uh, no, I, th- I think the the weird part is that yeah they'll both be in june is the thing so yeah so but i think we'll be okay um, i mean the the 10 year thing is going to run concurrently with the weeks we are doing anyway so you know it's it's like the shambles you know they'll they'll both 
be on the feet at the same time, you know? Yeah. Co-currently we'll just hit the balance the way we share them and whatnot. Yeah. Which um, I, we discussed last week, we're going to do five instead of 10. So it'll be like two rounds each episode. Mm-hmm. Cause we're only going to yeah. try to do like 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I guess after we're done with the recording here, we'll figure out those plans. But, but yeah, there's also the option of doing like pulling a pulling one retro title out for this year if we really do get in a bind. But there's so much coming think, out that I don't think. We're yeah, gonna I think we'll be all right. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think um, it's a shame we uh, burned Scott Pilgrim already because that's getting a re-release. Yeah. Well, we hit it on the tenth anniversary, technically, so we're yeah. we're solid there. Figure um, it out. Let's rewatch the world's end. Why not? <laughs> that's got to go right, and that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, save that for 2013. 2023. <laughs> I mean, sure. If you want to follow rules. <laughs> cool. Cool. Sweet. So, yeah. See you next week for Mortal Kombat. Bye. Get over here. (laughs) Ryan wins. Sweet. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Neighborless Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day.